The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after Pentecost serves as the text for our sermon this morning. comes from the first book of Kings, the 19th chapter. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And this is the word of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Their voice has gone out to all the earth. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the fifth chapter. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ah, the mighty prophet Elijah, a man of unimaginable faith, conviction, and strength. A man who stood up to kings, who boldly spoke the word of God even when it put his life at risk. A man who in our reading today is sitting alone in a cave crying, Why am I the only one left? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like Elijah, knowing your Christian faith, trusting in God, and yet feeling completely alone in the world, the only one standing up? In our struggles against this world, against ourselves, so often we feel all alone. We are constantly fighting against the world around us. As Christians, our values and our lives, they are very different from those around us. And day in and day out, we see that difference, and we feel more and more alone. As we tell our children about the bountiful benefits of chastity, waiting until marriage, The world is busy filling their heads with the idea that anyone not having sex already is somehow wrong and maladjusted. 
as we stand up for the sanctity of life from conception to natural death. We are barraged with the worldly message that life is disposable and cheap and it's yours to do with as you please. As we try to warn the world about the dangers of unrepentant sin, we are mocked, we are called bigots, we are told to get with the times and join in the parade. Infidelity, lying, taking God's name in vain, disrespecting the authorities, killing the elderly and infirm for the sake of convenience, denying the very existence of God. All these things that we as Christians seek to drive out of our lives, they are downright encouraged by the world around us. And we are told that we too need to get with the times. And we feel alone. We feel like we're the only ones standing up for God's words and his values. The world is constantly assaulting our belief. It is constantly trying to pry us from the truth of God's word. And that's exhausting. It wears us out. It breaks us down. It's bad. It's so bad, in fact, that sometimes we are tempted to run away from it all like Elijah. We're tempted to just go hide ourselves away in a cave, throw ourselves a private little pity party, so we don't have to fight with the world around us anymore. But the truth is, even that's not enough to bring us respite from the fight against sin. It's bad enough that the world around us tries so hard to destroy our faith, but we also have to fight ourselves. We are constantly fighting against our own natural instincts that also tell us, join in the party, get with the times, leave behind this foolish Christianity. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says these things lead to death and we should stay away from them, but our natural inside us ourselves cries out, but these are a few of my favorite things. These are the things I like to do. These are the things I want to do. But God's word is clear. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These sins have serious consequences. Now this doesn't mean that if you've done one of these things once, then you are eliminated, because we've all fallen victim to these. We have all fallen into this sin. But when you give up the fight, when you buy into the world's message that you can be you, do these things because it's not hurting anybody, when you stop resisting your sinful nature and say, I like enmity and strife so much that I just won't even call it a sin anymore. When you say, this is just how I am and there's nothing I can or want to do about it. Well, then you have declared that you prefer sin over the truth of God's word. You have submitted again to the yoke of slavery and you have rejected the freedom that Jesus Christ has given you in forgiveness. You have told the devil, I like what you've got to offer, and I'd really like to come back to your camp. The devil is constantly behind you, all around you, within you, 
trying to slip that yoke back on your neck. Disguising it as something good and right and fun. Taping on a few more sequins and feathers, trying to make it look so appealing, saying, look, everybody else is wearing a yoke, shouldn't you be? And only by the power of God's word can we resist that urge to let him cinch it up tight. Can we resist the urge to stop shrugging it off, ducking away from it, pushing it off our shoulders and saying, I don't want that slavery any longer. So every day is a fight, a battle, just to remain rooted in what is right. Every minute as a Christian becomes a struggle. It's tiring. It wears us down. And every minute we see another Christian submit to the ways of the world. Hear about another believer who turned their back on the truth of God's word and declared, you know what, the world is right, let's just live with it. It starts to make us feel isolated and alone. As we see friend after friend, Christian after Christian, lie down in defeat, stop their struggle against sin in the world around us, we, like Elijah, feel all alone. We feel abandoned. We feel like we're the only ones out there standing up for God's word any longer. We lose hope and we wonder if it's even worth fighting anymore. But it always is. And the fact is, we are never alone. God has provided and preserved the community of faithful believers. Elijah is off in his cave, assuming that he's the only one left. That's his lament. I and I alone am out here, and they're trying to kill me too and put an end to your word, Lord. That's not going to happen. God assures Elijah that there are at least 7,000 yet who have not given in, who have not bowed down to the false gods, who have not abandoned the faith. Now, 7,000 might not seem like that big of a number when you're talking about an entire nation of Israel, but it's a whole lot bigger than zero, isn't it? They're out there. You're not alone. Sometimes, like Elijah... We assume that we're the only ones holding fast to God's word. As we see church bodies give in to cultural pressures and embrace whatever they, the world is offering today. As we hear over and over how Christianity needs to change for today's world and get with the times and just become a cheerleader for a wretched culture around us. As we are flooded with messages that are so against the truth of Christianity, we feel like we're the only ones. But we're not. We never are. God always preserves a faithful remnant. That remnant might not be the loudest, might not be the most visible, probably not the majority. But in that faithful remnant, the body of Christ, we take comfort and we find support. In our local congregations, as we gather together in the Word, in safety and comfort, professing our faith and telling the world, you can't touch us here. In our Christian friends and families all throughout the world, as we share with them our faith, our struggles, our prayers. In the fellowship of all believers, past and present, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, united together in faith, by the words of Jesus Christ. You are not alone. The fight is not just yours. Take a look around you, just today, right here. 
See your fellow warriors, those who still hold fast to the truth. Count your blessings as you tally up your friends and family members who still believe in Jesus Christ and have not fallen to the ways of the world. Rejoice at the millions of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who pray for you, who stand with you, who support you in your daily struggles. You are not alone, but you are a member of a mighty, innumerable army of believers who cannot be overtaken by the wicked ways of the world, not even by the devil himself. Even when the world seems to win, even when you feel like you are the only one standing up for Jesus, you are not alone. And here's the best part. It's not just the earthly remnant of Christians that supports and sustains us. It is God himself. God is present and near with each and every one of us as we hold fast to his word. Not in a powerful fire or earthquake or rock-shattering wind that makes the world tremble in fear and take a look at us and say, that's power and we should bow down to it, crushing any of those who might doubt. No. In a low quiet voice, constantly assuring us, speaking the real truth in the midst of the world's lies. And so we take care that the world around us doesn't drown out that voice. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we remain in God's word, giving thanks for his beacon of light amidst the thickening darkness. The world will get louder and louder, and if we start to listen to that noise instead of God's word, it becomes so easy to forget what God's voice sounds like. But his voice is always there, and his voice has power, telling us, get back out there, you've got work to do, but also telling us, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. God's voice is not always the flashy, obnoxious voice of the world, promising everything, delivering nothing. His is a voice of truth, of consistency, of comfort, and of assurance. His is a voice of power that truly changes things. Did you ever think that we would see Roe versus Wade overturned in our lifetime? God did that. His is a voice of power that changes even the things that we consider to be settled and done, the causes that we have written off as hopeless. But most importantly, his is a word of forgiveness. In our constant war against sin, we are certain to lose battles. We will start to listen to the voice of the world, of the devil, of our own sinful flesh, We are going to let that yoke of sin settle upon our necks and say to ourselves, this isn't so bad. We are going to stumble. We are going to fall. We are going to give in to sin, and we will turn away from that precious voice of God. But his voice, it will never turn away from us. He is always with us, proclaiming his love. His word constantly assures us of the forgiveness that he gives us through the cross of Jesus Christ. A free gift, not something we've earned, not something that we have to work for, not something that we have done anything to deserve. It is a continual gift, no matter how often we stumble, no matter how wretched we are as sinners. When we look to Jesus Christ in faith and contrition, 
his voice proclaims we are forgiven. As long as we are fighting that sin, as long as we are clinging to his promises instead of to the empty words of the world around us, when we look to him in faith, when we confess and repent of our sin, we know that we are forgiven and cleansed and continually renewed. Not because we're such good fighters, but because Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. At the cross, he defeated sin, death, and the devil once and for all, winning the eternal victory that we never could. At the empty tomb, he proclaimed his victory to the world and gave to us not just hope, but a promise that we too shall rise to eternal life like he did. And every single day, by his holy word, by the waters of baptism, by his true body and blood, he gives that victory to us. Even when we feel all alone, even when we fail, even when we fall into the most miserable of sin, God is there always, forgiving us, renewing us, strengthening us for the next fight, and the next, and the next, until we stand with him in his glorious paradise forever, never to fight again. For in Jesus Christ, in the fellowship of believers Even now, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are not alone. Not ever. Despite the world's constant assaults, despite the feeling that it might not be worth it, we fight on. Not by our own strength, but by the strength of God himself, given us in that low whisper, that constant, consistent, truthful word that shatters the lies of this world and changes absolutely everything. In Jesus Christ, we are never alone and we are never, ever defeated. Even if we lose all things, even if we lose our very lives, it is not the end and we are victorious because he has won the victory for us. By his holy, precious blood, by his innocent suffering and death, no matter how much the world, the devil, and our own sinful nature might rail against us, we stand firm in the absolute assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ that no matter what the world might claim, by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.